Hello, Campus Cronies, and welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, former college professor, current college administrator, but always a true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from 1 to 5 on my very own serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to 5 being very serious. This episode is rated a 5. It's the story of 18-year-old Anita Knutson, a freshman at Minot State University in Minot, North Dakota. In June of 2007, Anita was killed in her off-campus apartment. Initially, police had a very large circle of suspects, and none of those suspects were ever officially cleared, which means police could never build what they would consider a provable case against any particular person. That is, until now, nearly 15 years after Anita's murder. Just this year, in March of 2022, Minot police announced the arrest of a suspect and they charged that suspect with felony murder. To find out who that person is, keep listening to the episode, which is titled Seeking Justice for Anita. So without further ado, let's get started. Anita Knutson was born in Orange County, California, but she was adopted as a five-month-old baby by some really amazing parents, Gordon and Sharon Knutson. Soon after Anita's adoption, Gordon and Sharon adopted two other young children, Daniel and Anna, both of whom were younger than Anita. But Anita was the best big sister to Anna and Daniel, and Anna not only looked up to her older sister, but she also adored her and wanted to be just like her. Anna said, quote, Anita was the coolest girl. Everybody at school loved her. I was really lucky to have her as my sister. She didn't care a lot about what other people thought of her. She was the nicest person I've ever known, end quote. And Anna, her sister, wasn't the only person who had nothing but good things to say about Anita. She was just truly loved because she genuinely loved and cared for others. She was one of those people who got along with everyone for the most part, and she particularly had a soft spot for the underdogs. Her father recalled on an episode of Crime Watch Daily how a girl from Anita's high school was sent home by the principal for apparently violating the school's dress code. Anita, coming to the girl's defense, studied the school handbook thoroughly and soon realized that the girl, in fact, had not violated the dress code. So Anita proceeded to tell the principal about it and suggested he apologize to the girl for sending her home because he was basically wrong. (laughs) The principal, though, simply told Anita, well, I make the rules around here. And Anita told him, I know you do. You have them written down. (laughs) After that, Anita would peek her head into the principal's office as she arrived to school and she'd ask him, have you apologized yet? She did this every single day until the principal eventually did apologize to the girl he sent home. Also, Anna, Anita's younger sister, recalled her absolute most favorite memory of Anita, which was around Christmas time when they were younger. 
Y'all, they stayed up and waited for their parents to go to bed and then proceeded to unwrap all of their presents under the tree to see what they got. Then they wrapped them all back up before their parents woke up the next morning. Anna said her parents still don't know they did that. (laughs) As you can see, Anita was just a really kind, somewhat ornery, but genuinely kind and good person. Anita grew up in Anaheim, California, where she attended school through her freshman year. In June 2002, she moved with her family to Butte, North Dakota, where she attended Velva High School. In high school, she was active in FCCLA, or Family Career and Community Leaders of America, and she played soccer as well as the violin and piano. She also loved to dance and just be in the spotlight in front of the camera. So it was no shock that she quickly met new people and made new friends when she went away to college. In the fall of 2006, Anita moved to Minot, North Dakota to attend Minot State University, which is about an hour drive from Butte, North Dakota. She was majoring in elementary education, doing quite well in her studies, but she also managed to effortlessly juggle two jobs and a social life. Anita worked as a housekeeper at a local Fairfield Inn, as well as a sales clerk at the retail store Vanity, which was located in the Dakota Square Mall. At some point, though sources don't give specific details of how they met or when they moved in together, but Anita ended up moving into an off-campus apartment with a woman named Nicole Thomas. Regardless of how busy and bustling Anita seemed to be, she always had time for her tight-knit family, whom she talked to nearly every day. In fact, she did talk to someone from her family every day, especially her mother. So the family got increasingly worried when they hadn't heard from Anita throughout a whole weekend. Also, Anita ended up missing a Saturday shift at the hotel where she worked, which was not in Anita's character at all. She was responsible and would never miss work without at least a phone call. By Monday, when her family still hadn't heard from her since the Friday before, her father Gordon got in the car and made the one-hour drive from Butte to Minot to check on his daughter to make sure she was okay. When he arrived at her apartment, he noticed her car was outside just a few yards away. But when he knocked on the door, nobody answered, and it seemed like no one was home, especially because the door to the apartment was locked. Naturally, Gordon's next move was to go to the apartment manager to ask her to open Anita's door, like for a wellness check. But the apartment manager told him she couldn't do that because she could get in trouble. It was, I guess, technically a violation of the tenant's privacy. But Gordon, a worried father, convinced her to open the door by saying, Well, I think you'll get in trouble if you don't open the door. Around this same time, the maintenance man for the apartment complex came in and showed Gordon a window screen that had been removed and sliced, which the maintenance guy had picked up outside of Anita's apartment. So the three of them, Gordon, the apartment manager, and the maintenance guy, walked over to Anita's apartment and they quickly realized the screen was in fact the screen to Anita's bedroom. Gordon peered inside and saw his daughter on her bed. The window was open, so he reached inside and touched her head. At that moment, he told the manager to open the door now. When they went inside, Gordon raced to his daughter's bedroom. He told Crime Watch Daily that the mattress was soaked in blood and Anita was covered up with a large house coat lying face down on the bed. Gordon said, quote, I touched her and her body was cold, so I knew she was dead. From that point, I think I was just in total shock, end quote. 
While waiting for police to arrive and process the scene, Gordon began making those dreaded phone calls to his wife and children to tell them the tragic news. When Sharon, Anita's mom, received the call from her husband, her whole world changed in an instant. And get those Kleenexes ready, because Sharon told Crime Watch Daily, quote, He just called me and he said, Anita's dead. That was real, real hard because for the adoption, I had to go to court and tell the judge I would take care of her and make sure she was safe her whole life. And I didn't manage to do that. I didn't protect her that one day, end quote. Anna, Anita's younger sister, who was only 15 at the time of her death, heard the terrible news from her older brother, Daniel, after he picked her up. Anna said, quote, We were driving home and my brother was crying. I was like, Daniel, what's wrong? Like, I've never really seen my brother cry or even be the slightest bit sad, end quote. That's when Daniel told Anna exactly what happened, that Anita had been murdered. Back in Minot, police arrived to the scene at about 5.12 p.m. According to the Washington Post, they found a small pocket knife with dried blood on it at the foot of Anita's bed. It did appear to be the murder weapon, and it was this cheap novelty pocket knife with a three-quarter inch blade, and Anita had multiple stab wounds to her chest. Police found traces of DNA on the pocket knife and took DNA samples from the people they interviewed. Though some question what police ever did with the DNA samples, police publicly told Crime Watch Daily that all of the DNA samples they collected were sent to a crime lab and they were analyzed and compared to DNA collected at the crime scene. The coroner determined that Anita was likely killed on Sunday before her body was discovered the next day on Monday. Investigators also noted that Anita's laptop, cell phone, purse, and digital camera were all still in place in her bedroom, which means robbery was not a motive of the killing. That's what made police scratch their heads a bit from the very beginning. There were no obvious signs of a motive at all. I mean, there was no forced entry, and everything seemed to be intact inside the apartment. No sign of a struggle. Plus, Anita was very well liked. Like, not one person they interviewed said anything negative or alarming or bad about Anita. She had no apparent enemies. So, while that might sound like a good thing, it made investigators' job pretty difficult. For example, there were a number of potential suspects and persons of interest because of her outgoing and genuine personality, and they had to try to sift and sort through those suspects one at a time. Who could possibly want Anita dead? And just as important, why would they want her dead? It just didn't make sense. But I guess murder rarely does. Anyway, police got to work and interviewed tons of potential suspects, many of them multiple times. One of the first people they looked at, obviously, was Anita's roommate at the time, Nicole. Not only did she have easy access to the apartment, I mean, she did live there too, but also police grew suspicious of her because they learned that Nicole was the one person that Anita didn't really get along with. Apparently, Anita and Nicole had been having a lot of conflicts and arguments, it got so bad that Nicole even slammed Anita's foot into a door in the apartment. Anita's mom, Sharon, said that Nicole wasn't a very safe person either. Like, she would have male friends over, friends that Anita did not know from Adam, and Nicole would often leave the apartment without the male friends, meaning she would leave the dudes, strangers if you will, inside the apartment alone with Anita. Sharon told Crime Watch Daily that Anita would also receive threatening texts from Nicole as well. 
Sharon wasn't sure of the actual details of the texts, but she knew they frightened Anita enough that she was planning to move out. In fact, Anita's family insists that Anita was scared of Nicole, like afraid for her life type of scared. So with all that information, you'd think it would be an open and shut case, but Nicole had a pretty solid alibi at the time. She said she had spent the entire weekend at her family's farm in Velva, North Dakota, an alibi that her parents corroborated and backed up. So regardless of their suspicions, police had to continue down the list of other potential suspects. They shifted their focus to one of Anita's high school friends whom she had gone to prom with, a guy named Tyler. Anita's family described Tyler's actions as odd. He too was somewhat of an underdog a shy, kind of awkward kid, so Anita, being Anita, befriended him and went to prom with him. But it was supposed to be a one-time thing. Anita was just being her awesome self and doing someone a solid, like a friendly gesture. But after Anita's death, Tyler took it hard and began acting in a way that Anita's family described as somewhat obsessive. I guess he would linger like around the crime scene and stuff and insert himself in the case. And he even created a Facebook page in Anita's honor. All okay, but the actions combined made them suspicious and question his motive. But while some of his behavior did seem strange, he was interviewed by police and even swabbed for DNA and he was never arrested or even publicly named as a suspect. Also, Crime Watch Daily interviewed Tyler, and he described Anita as his best friend. In fact, he said there was a point in high school that he had no friends besides Anita. She was his only one. Now, while Tyler did admit to having a big old crush on Anita, he said he understood that the feelings were not reciprocated. He described her as the most amazing person in the world, someone he deeply cared for, so he says he stays close to the case as a grieving friend and only a grieving friend. Other suspects on the list included some roofers who were working nearby, dance partners and patrons from a club that Anita liked to go to, other college students, and even a man who was seen jogging in the neighborhood. Police became so suspicious of the jogger that they actually released a composite sketch of the man to the public. But the man actually saw the sketch, realized it looked a lot like him, and he came forward immediately. Police also were able to quickly clear him and rule him out. At the end of the day, police interviewed and questioned as many people as they could possibly find, but they had an overwhelming hunch that they needed to narrow it down to people who had keys to the apartment, which was a very short list. One investigator for the Minot Police Department, Detective Sergeant Dave Goodman, said, quote, The main door was locked, so I believe that whoever committed the murder either locked the door on their way out or if it was locked when they arrived, they would have had to have some way to get in, such as a key, end quote. Now, let's go back to that slit screen the maintenance man found outside of Anita's apartment. It actually had some blood on it, but police don't believe that is the way the suspect entered or exited the apartment. Instead, they think it was likely sliced after the murder. Dave Goodman explained this theory, saying, quote, I believe the purpose would be to mislead law enforcement, to try and show that this is possibly an entry point, end quote. So I know what you are thinking. Maybe it was the maintenance man. I mean, he did have easy access. 
Plus, at least one source says the maintenance man was dating the apartment manager, though I'm not sure if that has any relevance at all. According to Crime Watch Daily, that maintenance man reportedly killed himself about a year after Anita's murder. Um, suspicious? Yeah, definitely. But according to police, they questioned the man and didn't really think he had anything to do with it. Why or how they thought that or came to that conclusion, I have no idea. Anyway, after repeated interviews and a lot of tips that led to dead ends, Anita's case went cold, still active, according to the Minot Police Department, but cold nonetheless. Meanwhile, Anita's family was left to mourn the loss of their loved one. Over the years, pain and grief became too much for Anita's brother, Daniel. He changed, became less sociable and more withdrawn. He started dabbling in drugs, and Sharon said he was angry all the time. He was simply lost without Anita because he was very, very close with her. And on April 9th, 2013, nearly six years after Anita's death, Daniel committed suicide. Anna, Daniel and Anita's sister, said, quote, What haunts me most about the death of my sister is that whoever killed her also took the life of my brother that very day. After she was killed, he was never the same, end quote. Over the years of no answers and delayed movement in the case, Anita's family became critical of how the Minot Police Department was handling the case, and rightfully so. Even the Minot Police Department themselves acknowledged this. Detective Sergeant Dave Goodman, who was actually the third lead investigator of the case, said, quote, People don't like to see crimes like this go unsolved. We're sorry for that, and we really wish we could come up with answers for the family, end quote. And 10 years after Anita's murder in 2017, Goodman told the Minot Daily News, quote, It is something that haunts you. There's a constant daily reminder in our office. There's a case file on a bookshelf with Anita's picture on it. We walk by that several times a day and are reminded that this is a major case, a major unsolved case. We don't like that. We don't want to retire with the Knutson case unsolved. It bothers us a lot, end quote. Well, after nearly 15 years, police finally got the break in the case they have been looking for. With the help of the team from Cold Justice, a TV show on oxygen, and I might add that it's one of my favorite TV shows with some badass detectives, female detectives, who travel across, well, some of them are female, who travel across the country to help police departments solve unsolved murders. But with help from Cold Justice, Minot Police Chief John Klug announced the arrest of a suspect this year, on Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. That person was none other than Anita's roommate at the time of her death, Nicole Rice, who is now 34 years old. At the time, Nicole's last name was Thomas, but she's since been married or whatever, and so now her last name is Rice. Oxygen.com reported that they arrested Nicole at Minot Air Force Base, where she worked as a civilian, and they charged her with felony murder. That is punishable by up to life in prison without parole. You see, police had always been quite suspicious of Nicole, and she had always been a person of interest. For example, according to the arrest affidavit, the initial statements that Nicole and her parents gave to police about her whereabouts that weekend were inconsistent and contradictory. 
The Minot Daily News reported that while Nicole claimed she was at her family's farm in Velva, a witness actually placed her at a bar in Russo, North Dakota, about 15 minutes away from Butte. Also, people close to the roommates said Nicole was often, quote, hot-tempered and reactionary, end quote. However, police chief John Klug said they just did not have enough evidence to arrest her until now. The arrest affidavit also says that Nicole admitted to killing Anita one night when she was intoxicated, but police were not able to identify who exactly Anita admitted that to until earlier this year in 2022. They learned it was a man that Nicole had dated in 2008 and 2009. Apparently during that time, somebody brought up Anita's death while the couple was at a party. Nicole allegedly got belligerently drunk and then she told her boyfriend that she, quote, did it, end quote. When the boyfriend tried to later ask Nicole about her confession when she was sober, she became angry and rebuffed the question. So what changed after 15 years for them to finally make the arrest? Well, according to police chief Klug, it was really nothing new, like no new evidence. It was more about getting the resources they needed from cold justice and looking at the case with fresh eyes, a new perspective, basically putting the pieces of what they had together. During a press conference following the arrest, chief Klug said, quote, I think the turning point in this case was really just trying to put all of that information together and put it in an order that made sense. It just took a little bit of refocusing and a lot of paying attention to the fine details, end quote. He also said, quote, we tried to actively investigate Anita's case for the past few years. And finally, with the help of cold justice, we were able to move forward and regain focus. Due to the resources, logistics, planning, and experts they were able to provide, we were able to obtain an arrest warrant, end quote. Now, police haven't given a specific motive for the murder, but in an interview with the Minot Daily News, Detective Dave Goodman said, quote, The crime scene told us a lot about what type of crime we were looking at. I feel we know the motivation behind the crime, end quote. After Nicole's arrest on March 16th, she was taken to Ward County Jail. The judge set her bail at $120,000 cash. Her father, Kevin Thomas, paid the $120,000 and Nicole was released the next day. She is due back in court this week on April 21st. So be sure to check out my social media for updates on this case as it moves forward. Now, before I officially close out this episode, y'all know by now that I do not like to end on information about the suspects and perpetrators. So instead, I'll leave you with some words from Anita's mother, Sharon, who said, quote, I go to the cemetery. I go out and visit with her and Daniel a lot. You have these little people in your life, and it's really hard when they're not there anymore, end quote. Okay, now that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 29. As always, be sure to check out this podcast on social media, where I always post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Podcast on Instagram and Campus Crime Chronicles on Facebook. Or if you want to request a specific case or story, you can email me at campuscrimepodcast at gmail.com. And guess what, (laughs) y'all? I bit the bullet and made a TikTok. That's right. One of your favorite podcasts. uh, That's 
Campus Crime Chronicles, by the way, (laughs) but I am finally on TikTok. So be sure to check me out on there as well, because I've been posting content for about a week now, and there are some short stories on there that you have never heard yet. So go check out my TikTok, but be kind to me. (laughs) I'm a little sensitive. (laughs) Okay, well, that's all for today. So bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway. The cover art and logos for this podcast were designed by Brady Burns. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.